Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. Long division sure comes in handy. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. Just say no to family values. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic. I am your only co-host today, so I guess I'm just a host today, uh, Pamela Bentley, and very happy to have with me here today as our guest, Molly Billows. And I'm super happy to be here. Well, that is good. It's a happy afternoon. (laughs) So, um, as you know, because you've been a guest before, it's been Mm -hmm. a a couple years, I think. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, But we always get you to start with a poem, so let's, let's have it. Sure. Here's a poem. (laughs) The end of the world does not arrive suddenly. Not always. Sometimes cataclysmic events trickle slowly, gather momentum, move like a wave, mimicking the navigation routes of colonial ships or social workers, mimicking the dispersion patterns of diseased blankets or zombie infection. I watch The Walking Dead. Part reality TV, part instruction manual, ask myself the same questions. Are we too far gone? Can we still come back from this? Here we are, living through this apocalypse or the next, and I want to believe that we are here, those of us who have survived because we are strong, descendants of strong, descendants of strong, because weak isn't in us anymore. But I fear that Rick Grimes could be right. Everyone who's alive right now, everyone who's made it this far, we've done the worst kinds of things just to stay alive. And maybe we are here not because we are strong, but because we are sly or secretive or selfish, or because our ancestors were able to play the systems just right, mimic assimilation just right, they were just mimicking, right? And the underground things we held onto, the humanity we are holding onto will be able to resurface all right. We're not too far gone. We can still come back from this. We are still here, living through this apocalypse or the next. In this chaos of survival, I catch moments, glimpses. Sometimes, when the summer sun spills open through the treetops, flows soft rivers across your face, dances down to forest floor, I am caught so fully by your beauty. You're perfect. And I forget for a moment, whatever apocalypse we are currently living through, your mid-August skin glows warm, your eyes reveal a soft shine, you usually try to keep hidden behind hard. In these moments, I glimpse everything you are, everything you could have been. I can't forget for too long the dangers that wait for us beyond the tree line. When I remember, I wonder if someone as gentle as you can survive this. I hope you do. I wonder if survival is not for the strong or for the lucky or for the resilient, but only for those of us who are willing to do terrible things in order to continue. I don't know if you have it in you. I worry that I do. I wonder, in order to make it out of this, what will we have to become? I ask, can we still come back from this? 
are we not too far gone? Wow, there's so much there. Oh, uh, like worried that you have the the ancestral background that you're going to be the one who can make it through, mm-hmm. and then that gentler people will not, and obviously somebody you love will not. Yeah, yeah. and then I can see how the zombie because people talk about the zombie apocalypse and the and the proliferation of zombie movies over the last what thirty years. Totally, yeah. Being a symbol for all of that, right? Like, how do we survive this? Totally. And like as an indigenous writer, as like an indigenous scholar, I'm also like obsessed with the like colonial reading of a lot of zombie texts. And there's some, um, yeah, conversations around like post-apocalyptic stress syndrome and the viewing of the things that happened here, like on this territory in in Turtle Island as um, as apocalypse and kind of we're living now in this like post-apocalyptic world. Exactly. And And the first time I heard that idea just expressed simply and directly, I it may have been in one of your poems. Oh, yeah. Um, because I know it was in a poem. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we're already post-apocalyptic. Yeah. As an indigenous person, our our world is already, we've already been through that apocalypse. Totally. After, I had a performance the night that Trump was elected. Oh. Um, and it was such a, a weird time to be at an event because everyone, including myself, was just kind of following well, the election, really. And that day I wrote a, a poem about catastrophe as well and about that yeah. lens. Yeah. And um, that is what is so... So I, um, this will bring us into something else. I think that that is what I love so much about your poetry is that you take things that other poets... And people who are performance poets often write about, and you have some of the same kind of rhythms and things, but then you put that lens on it, Mm -hmm. and you bring your own uh, insight to it, right? So, for instance, um, I was posting something, uh, I was looking for a video to post because Andrea Gibson is coming, Mm -hmm. and you were going to be doing the Mm Q&A, and one of the first poems was a love poem for her girl, their girlfriend, Mm -hmm. and... um, and I was like, oh, this kind of reminds it's the yes one. Yes, say yes, yes. And I thought, oh, this reminds me a little bit of, of uh, a poem that I've heard Molly Billows do about, you know, like, I didn't think I would kind of, I didn't think I would ever fall in love again. And then, yeah, yeah you came along and you kind of like. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I wondered if you were, if you were influenced by that or if it came afterwards. But then, of course, mm-hmm. there's like exactly that lens that we we're just talking about is put on in in yours yeah. it doesn't isn't in andrea gibson's yeah totally i think yeah that like hunger poem i think it came out um yeah of just like living through that experience of and i think i've not typically written kind of love poetry or even like poetry that delves into like my queer identities or things like that um and so it was definitely kind of pushing in that in that edge that direction to to bring more of that um into it and i think for myself like yeah pushing that vulnerability putting all the time trying to get a bit more vulnerable in the writing that i'm willing to write and willing to share um so that helped you do that, like uh, Andrea Gibson? Because are you a fan? Yeah, I am a fan of Andrea Gibson, and I think, yeah, Andrea's work definitely helps me in that way because I feel like Andrea show so much of Andrea shows up in the work and, like, the personal and, like, the love and the queer identity, and um, there is that kind of very openness and very vulnerable writing 
um, that I, I sense from Andrea's work. So cool. that definitely so, helps. I definitely yeah. seek out definitely writers like Andrea who push me in those directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that must be kind of a thrill then to be opening for yeah. Andrea Gibson. It definitely is a huge thrill and like a huge <laughs> honor and a huge surprise. Um, especially, yeah, someone that I can, I still can sort of pretty new to writing. It's been writing for a few years now, but um, someone that I look definitely look to and is like a was a huge person that one of the you know, first people that I was listening to or watching YouTube videos of. So that's very cool. And now they get to experience your work. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is uh, the thing, one of the things, probably the main thing I love about that. Yeah. Um, I've seen Andrea, have you seen Andrea Gibson before? No, I never have. Okay. Yeah. I saw them once um, when, um, uh, I won't go on about it too much, but when uh, the Poetry Slam was, uh, the National Poetry Slam was in Albuquerque, mm. they still had the individual competition as part at the same time as the team oh, wow. and so it was the first time I saw Andrea Gibson on stage you know in the finals and Buddy Wakefield Anis Mojigani wow. um, and there was somebody else that I can't remember the name of and I was just so impressed and then I saw them again in a small venue in Santa Fe Mm. And, uh, and then I saw them again when they came to Vancouver last year or two years ago. So uh, it's, it's uh, interesting to watch how their performance has developed and how their identity has developed and how they like, become to inhabit that in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. So you have these experiences. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so the next night, so uh, tell us when that is. That is April 16th. So Monday night. Monday night. And where is it? I think it's at St. James Hall. Yeah, St. James Hall. Um, which I've is never the, been to that like, venue. Oh, this will be my beautiful, first time there. Oh, it's a beautiful venue. It's a former church. Amazing. And it's used by the folk uh, club. Awesome. It's kind of their headquarters. Yeah. But it's owned by the city now because a few years ago it was going to be torn down and then the city kind of intervened, which is cool. It's wow. a beautiful space because the acoustics are... Yeah, acoustics are always amazing in those types of buildings. Yeah. Um, and then the next night is the 17th, Tuesday the mm. 17th. And what is happening that night? A reading and a Q&A with Andrea Gibson happening at Massey Books. Right. And yeah, I'll be moderating that Q&A, which I'm really excited to have a chance for that more kind of intimate sit down and I feel like getting to like ask people about their work. It gives a whole new layer to to what what you learn and what you like discover about their pieces. I have no idea what you're talking about. What asking people <laughs> about their work? How does that? Yeah, how <laughs> doesn't sound like up your alley at all. That's fine. Um, and so it is. The performance is, in, is on the Monday night, but yeah. the Tuesday night is not a performance or reading. It's just a book signing and yeah, the Q and A. Yeah. And it's uh, Massey Books is a really great uh, space. I was by there yesterday, so shout out to Massey Books. Yeah. Patricia is doing super things over there yeah. and it's not far from here it's just over on uh georgia georgia between gore and maine yeah and chinatown so let's hear another poem that's enough of my talking and uh i'd love to hear another poem sure let's do another poem i feel like all the poems i'm bringing are just so so light and happy <laughs> um and poems. that's a problem or no, no it's not a problem it's kind of a joke because this one's called rage grief love <laughs> Let me tell you about rage, about wanting to learn how to spit, with force, with great aim, to accurately direct my disgust at the evangelists who occupy street corners on already stolen land. Let me tell you about grief. 
about hearing the backseat chatter of our youth saying, you have to stop expecting your mother to show up for you, you'll just be disappointed. When another scheduled visit is canceled, another birthday passes uncelebrated, my whole heart breaking with the knowledge that while we may age or harden, none of us will fully let go of the hope that our mothers will come back for us. Let me tell you about love, about how it's never dependent on being loved back, how I sing forgiveness every day in an attempt to soften. Still, most days, rage is the safest and most reliable option. It gets me out of bed. It tells me to write poetry. It drives me to work. It reminds me to eat breakfast. It makes a fire of my grief, love. Most days, I can't tell the difference between my rage, grief, love. They are in a codependent relationship. Most days, the grief, love for things lost, like languages and mothers and land, can only be felt as rage. Delving into the deeper layers means too much pain, too much to address if I want to get out of bed, write poetry, go to work, eat breakfast, or make a fire that burns something other than myself. Oh, nice ending line. Thank you. Yeah, because I think rage can be a positive force. Totally. I think so, too. It's a very, like, motivating force, certainly, and um, I think rage and anger get a lot of like hate in this society get a lot of rage yeah get a lot of rage a lot of resistance um and are seen kind of solely as negative emotions but i think they can also be a powerful and positive force when yeah. controlled and harnessed yeah i love how you take these ordinary things and say how it how you're motivated to do like get out of bed and get to work and have breakfast it's mm-hmm. yeah sometimes it's the only thing that does do it mm-hmm. i don't want to let the win right? yeah that's what my aunt always says my aunt is 83 and that's what she always says at the end of her conversations oh yeah <laughs> my dad says take care be careful and my aunt says don't let the bastards get you down <laughs> um both good sayings yeah so i wanted to i want to hear more poems so we're, i'm going to really quickly say you've got some other stuff coming up so maybe it's a good time to tell people about what you have going on and then in april i mean it's poetry month it's great it, that you're doing all this definitely stuff poetry month. so let's hear it what's coming up yeah i'm going to be doing some events for hullabaloo and verses which i'm really excited for especially excited for hullabaloo and the amazing youth voices that are centered in that part of the festival um and when are you going to be performing and where yeah, I'm at the Jamboree yeah. uh, on the 19th, and then the 20th is the All-Star Slams, um, and there's two of them, because one of them is fully booked up, but they added a second show, um, a very early morning show at 9.30, so um, folks who still want to, to see it have another opportunity. And just so you know that you will be, if you do go buy one of the tickets that are left for that morning show, uh, you will be in the Rio Theatre with hundreds of junior high and high school students because <laughs> yes. that is huge all the youth it. showing up for for that free and, and then the jamboree on the thursday night the mm-hmm. 19th is that vancouver poetry um uh, sorry vancouver i always want to say vancouver poetry vancouver public library the p stands for something <laughs> different in this case vancouver uh vancouver public library central branch and all of the hullabaloo events at the central branch for those three days of hullabaloo the 19th to the 21st are free Amazing. So you can come and see Molly for free. Yay. And then on Saturday morning, mm-hmm. um, there's youth stuff that uh, people who are not, uh, uh, young people who are not in Hullabaloo, not competing, mm-hmm. also have access to and are welcome to come to. What is that? 
Um, well, I'll be doing some workshops. There's a bunch of different workshops happening, so people can come and take dive into some writing if that's what they're into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can look that up online. It's called Adventures in Poetry Land. You can go to versusfestival.ca or you can go to youthslam.ca and you can find the information in both of those and then click on it and, and find out how to register. Mm-hmm. Molly will be doing workshops. Mo Clark, uh, Zoe Priceless Roy, and Aaron Dingle. So we've got people from all the way across the country coming in to do workshops. Molly's representing the West Coast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. We have time for another poem. Oh, yeah. We've got lots of time. I thought we were a little bit farther along. Um, Let's hear another poem. Sure. Uh, This one is, I don't know, kind of about cultural appropriation. Okay. You'll hear sometimes people being like, it's appreciation. And so this is a poem kind of about that. Apparently, it's appreciation, not appropriation. It's appreciation, not appropriation. It's appreciation, not appropriation. So why does it still feel like theft? Why does it feel like tokenization? Every time you come to take pieces of us as inspiration, as souvenir, as aesthetic, you are described as an admirer, a collector. With your appreciation, the flattery always feels skin deep. When you respect our art, but not our lives, not our legal systems or our land rights, hanging our art on your walls won't make the history you teach in your schools any less oppressive, won't decrease incarceration rates, stop violence against indigenous women, or return children to their families. I don't feel appreciated, I feel commodified. I don't feel appreciated, I feel lost. Grief for people and places stolen, I feel longing. To reach into the black and white photos, into archives and museum cases, to run my fingers along the ridge sides of our baskets, for our blankets to feel the warmth of skin, our bowls to hold feast foods again, for our totem poles and carvings to rest, returned at last to the forest floor of home, for my great-grandmother's voice to transcend the computer speakers, for her to hear my broken attempts at sentences, to talk over tea and stew. I don't want your appreciation. I want our land back. I too long to return to the forest floor of home. You're listening to Molly Billows, who's our guest today on Wax Poetic on Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM. The conversation about appropriation is huge and it's been very in the forefront in um, Canadian literature Mm -hmm. and I I really uh, appreciate how you took the things and then put them back in context yeah and and sort of imagined the bull wanting food totally the totem pole wanting the forest floor yeah I did I ran a youth program um co-ran it out of the Museum of Anthropology one summer and so I got this like very kind of intimate experience of uh, working with this like small and amazing group of indigenous youth and having these interventions in this museum space and there is like for myself I'm actually going down to Seattle next weekend to get a tattoo that's bringing these some images and some basketry patterns and stuff that are in archives in museums um, and getting them on my body uh, which I'm really excited for and there's an amazing indigenous tattoo artist uh, Nahan down in Seattle who's who's going to do that work with me and there these um, the basketry patterns are from mm. your nation yeah from my great grandmothers so wow. it's 
and getting the things, yeah, of my family and my ancestors that are are in museum cases right now as we speak and online in archives um, out in a different way um, on, onto my skin. Yeah, and carry it out into the world. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate that deepening of the conversation about appropriation that those things bring right the mm-hmm. actual objects so they, they're not artifacts anymore there yeah the um Musqueam nation had a a few museum exhibits i suppose or installations um for the Cessnam, which is a site in marpool and they had a huge conversation about that where in all of the exhibits um nothing was called artifacts they were all called belongings um for that reason of not kind of othering it and not separating it from the context and from the people who it belonged to. It's a shift in language. Mm-hmm. Is that one of, uh, I mean, I probably know the answer. Is that one <laughs> of the things that you're hoping to do with your work is to shift those language or bring people's awareness to it so they use language differently? Yeah, I think definitely. And with a shift of language, there's often also a shift of, of worldview, a shift of thinking, a shift of consciousness, a shift of feeling about something. So the words that we choose to use have a powerful effects on how we think about things and make decisions based on that. Do you think it starts with the language or that that shift comes first and the language follows? I think language holds a tremendous amount of power for for starting that. I think of the ways indigenous languages uh, create a totally different relationship to place by the way that things are called, the way that you talk about things. And so I think it kind of, it. I don't know if it's first or second, but definitely entwined. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's something that as city dwellers and as people who, uh, those of us who fall into this category, who have not lost a language Mm -hmm. or are not struggling to get a language back from our ancestors, um, don't, you know, may not understand that. They have that monolithic understanding of language. And then when you learn another language or even a few words and you see, oh, in this one word is contained a whole worldview. What do we have words for? What do we not have words for in various languages? Yeah, I'm fascinated by that as well. So you probably <laughs> yeah. talk and geek out about that for a long time. Um, I was thinking when you were doing that poem about appropriation and mm. appreciation and the... Um, putting things on walls and that doesn't mean there were two things that came to mind one was how is this how is being asked to be putting your words on stage Mm -hmm. and representing um, yourself but Mm -hmm. then also a different world view that Mm -hmm. is then being moved from the margins into the center what is that how is there any do you have any like complex feelings about that or 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 simple feelings about that that you could that you could talk about I feel like it's interesting to me it kind of ties into like who do I write for and I think in a lot of ways I I want to write for my nation for my community for indigenous people for urban indigenous people um but the reality is that most of the audiences I perform to are majority non-indigenous or it's very pretty rare that there's like a kind of indigenous run or indigenous focused event and so it is something to like I'm conscious of how how I write and how it could be taken up and the the ways and the messages that I want to be sending and kind of recognizing that certain poems or certain parts of poems will land differently for different people or be taken up in different ways um yeah 
Um, does it affect you when you sit down to write? When you're thinking about who am I writing for? Because purpose and audience is usually one of the things we're thinking about, right? I think it affects me in the sense of... Um, Actually, I started writing while I was a student at UBC, and so a lot of my early poems were actually snuck into academic papers that were for my Indigenous professors, who very gracefully allowed me to do that. Um, and some of the like lessons from them that I still incorporate into my poetic writing is kind of how to not like sensationalize trauma, how to kind of leave audiences in a in an okay place afterwards and how to uh, leave like your own community in an okay place afterwards to not have it all down to like mm -hmm. give some up as well mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the edges I'm like working on too of writing yeah those those more poems that are, are love poems or, or softer pieces that that don't come as easily to me when a lot of my writing, especially early writing, was just from kind of a pure rage. I need to get this out on paper um, place. So how do I how do I write in, in more in different states as well? You said you haven't been writing for very long, but I think you've already kind of learned how, like not learned, that sounds uh, patronizing, but uh, <laughs> that you have um, navigated that uh, doing what you just talked about. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's it's obvious that like it's uh, not surprising that you do think about that because I think yeah. that you do that quite well. Mm -hmm. um, so let's see. We have time for one more poem. OK. Can we have another mm -hmm. poem, please? Which poem <laughs> should I do? Well, it's up to you. It's up to you. <laughs> I go end with tricks. OK. Gentrification as colonial displacement, pipelines as land grabs, foster care as 60s scoop, prison cells as residential schools, fentanyl as smallpox blankets, I see your tricks. Immerse enough generations in self-hatred and we'll do it to ourselves. We poison our bodies, our children commit suicide, I see your tricks. Do you see mine? Round dance as survivance, protest as empowerment, education as unlearning, dreams as sovereign thoughts, indigenous parenting as revolution, direct action as reoccupation, kitchen table as political organization, cigarettes as offerings, tattoos as permanent, regalia, art as reclamation, body as frontline, orgasms as decolonization, poetry as war cries, tender relationships as resistance, self-love as you self-love is uprising nice that was i remembered what i was going to say before which is that it's a good thing you fell in love then right yeah that, that definitely helps it definitely helps <laughs> um so i'm just going to i just i'm it's hard for me to talk because i'm just get sink into what you're saying <laughs> and then i'm like oh now i have to do some other things so I'm going to tell uh, people about some uh, events coming up, and then we'll have to say goodbye. This week, tomorrow night, is the UBC Slam Final Showcase, and it's also a chapbook release. The features are Kayla Fraser and Alessandra Nacarado, and that is at the Center for Interactive Research on Sustainability, which I assume is on the UBC campus. Sounds like it. Yeah. Also, Sonia Renee Taylor is going to be in town on Friday, 
promoting their book. It's a book launch for the power of radical self-love, and that is at 5.30 to 8.30 at SFU Harbor Center Campus. If you saw Sonia Renee Taylor last year uh, at Versus, you know that you'll want to go see some more. Uh, She is the founder of The Body Is Not an Apology, and this is sponsored by Black Lives Matter. On April 7th, which is Saturday, there is a National Poetry Month event of various universe with Kevin Spence and Yonina Curtin, and that is at the Anvil Center, which is at 777 Columbia Street in New Westminster. Sunday at 2 is Poetic Justice, and that is with Calvin Wharton and Bonnie Nish, and that is at 2 p.m. in New Westminster. It's at the Heritage Grill, uh, which is just right near the stop for um, Columbia Street in New Westminster. The next two Mondays at the Vancouver Poetry Slam, it is the semifinals determining who will be uh, competing in the finals to get on the team to represent Vancouver Poetry Slam. And the finals will be part of Versus on Monday night, the 23rd of April. This coming Monday, the first Van Slam semifinal, uh, number one, is at Café du Soleil, and the feature is Ms. Mack, who is up from Seattle, but I think originally from farther places east, like maybe Michigan or something like that. So that is somebody that we have not seen on the Van Slam stage before, as far as I know. And before we leave, you are on the current team, so you're... Wrapping up, yeah. finishing up. <laughs> and, and and what was being in the finals like for you? Because you, yeah. you kind of, you weren't really expecting to be there right no it was a very whirlwind experience i think i'd been in a couple a couple slams and then suddenly it was semis and then suddenly it was finals so it was a really exciting experience for me and especially just i think being on the team gives you so much exposure to poetry and in like a national in national sense of being able to travel and and see different poets in different cities representing so so you recommend it definitely recommend it definitely recommend well good luck to all the people who are going to be in the semifinals in the next two weeks and um we will see them at versus we will see molly at hollow blue we will hear molly at uh, the q a and at andrea gibson's performance on the 16th and 17th uh a reverse respectively there um so if you haven't got your tickets for that uh the event on the 17th is a, a Q&A moderated by Molly and it is by donation at the door and a- any money that you give goes to um towards versus festival of words so we can always use that support you can probably tell that I'm wearing two hats today with this uh so uh, as one of the organizers of versus festival I should give that as full disclosure all right, that's it. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Molly. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Always. No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what? So what? So what? So what?